Welcome back to No Small Jobs, where we, for some reason, have managed to make a bit of a make a bit of an interesting pattern. I seem to have interviewed a whole bunch of health people. Um, now, that's kind of deliberate, kind of accidental. I am a GP, and I just happen to be friends with and uh, now related to a bunch of different health people. So. I'm sorry if health isn't your field, um, but uh, I'm working on it. If you if you stick with us, there are some interesting podcasts coming up. We've got some. Uh, we've got a primary school teacher. We've got a uh, union worker. Um, I'm hopefully going to get a consultant in now who works for a major consulting company. So uh, stick around. But in the meantime, you know, feel, please have a listen. You may not think that this is the kind of thing you want to hear, but um, these are just stories and these are people who have been through things, and you might just find that in and of itself interesting. So do check out our previous podcast. We've got the hypnotherapist, we've got the quality manager, we've got the OT, we've got the dentist. Um, check us out on our pod, uh, on our website, sorry, on our website, nosmalljobspod.com.au. Um, also, uh, stay up to date by liking us on our Facebook page, No Small Jobs Pod, uh, and following us on Twitter, No Small Jobs Pod, uh, where you can find uh, updates and reminders about upcoming shows. So, today, my guest is Mark. Mark is an endodontist. Hi, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. So, what the hell is an endodontist? Ah, uh, that's normally something I get asked all the time, even from my patients. So, an endodontist is a dentist who has specialized in root canal treatments only. Right. And so, what? Um, why did you choose to be an endodontist? So... Uh, Dentistry in and of itself, um, it's, it's very practical. Um, there's a lot of hands-on component to it, but there's also a lot of aesthetics in dentistry. You, know, you need to make things look good. Um, that's a driving force why a lot of patients go to the dentist. And aesthetics just isn't my thing. Um, <laughs> I don't have an eye for that, that sort of thing whatsoever. But endodontics and root canal treatments, um, it's very biological. It's probably the most biological aspect to dentistry. The aim is to uh, treat infection, eliminate it, prevent it from coming back uh, and that sort of speaks to me because when I have a patient come and see me uh, I don't have to sell them anything I'm just saying to them you have an uh, actual problem a problem that I think that I can solve and and that's it I don't need to say I can make this look better or that look better because that's just not part of my wheelhouse and uh, I, re- I really like that part of uh, part of dentistry and hence I went down that that pathway okay so uh, that uh, tell me how you got into dentistry in the first place so uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I was in and out of the children's hospital a lot, um, probably before my teenage years, and uh, I always wanted to be a doctor. Specifically, I wanted to be a pediatrician because I spent a lot of time with the children's and saw a lot of other sick kids and thought maybe one day if I get better and I get big and strong, I can also help sick kids. So I wanted to be a doctor pretty much from 8 until 18, and then about three weeks before applications closed for year 12... Uh, I was tired, I was burnt out, I'd been studying a lot for my exams, and I caught up with my GP at the time, um, who was you know, very, very elderly, was involved in teaching at the University of Melbourne, and he was joking with me about how, if I think I'm tired now, just wait till my internship year, and tell me about you know the three days, no breaks, you name it, and I thought, oh, I don't really like the idea of that, I'm kind of tired as it is. <laughs> so I happened to have a dental appointment booked that week as well chatted to my dentist and said, well, what's, what's this all about? Because, um, you know, it's still healthcare. You're working with your hands. Uh, and he spent about an hour with me telling me about all the aspects of dentistry. And I thought, this sounds really, really interesting. So I applied, uh, put dentistry first uh, with three weeks notice. And then I actually missed out on getting into dentistry first time round. And during the intervening year, I took a gap year. Instead of doing anything, I thought I'll just take a gap year, reevaluate what I want to do with my life. 
and that's when we met. I was mm-hmm. and I hung out a lot with uh, you and the rest of the medical students, and I thought, oh, okay, medicine actually would be pretty cool to do. So I applied for medicine. Dentistry was my next preference, and oddly enough, missed out on medicine, but got dentistry. <laughs> and the rest is history. I'm actually really happy that I went down the dental path because I don't think I would have been cut out to be a doctor. Why? Not? Why not? I mean, you know, as you said, as within endodontics, it is about the problem solving. Oh, true. Uh, Honestly, it's probably just more the hours than anything else. I still like the idea that I don't work night shifts and ne- <laughs> never have, never will. Mm. Uh, and I think it's more the lifestyle aspect of things. Dentistry has a really good lifestyle from an hours point of view, whereas I know in medicine, uh, there's a lot that you don't control. Uh, whereas in dentistry, I think you do have a lot more control over what you do day to day, at least you know the hours that you are going to be working. And that, that appeals to me. And I guess on that, what... What prompted you to make the move into endodontics? I mean, as I said, there was the interest in it, but mm. if were you happy being a you know a day to day dentist? Yeah, I got a lot of enjoyment out of dentistry, but from a day to day point of view, I found that when I had patients booked in, if I had a root canal treatment booked in for the day, I was going to have a good day, and if I had other procedures booked in, I just didn't have that same level of satisfaction at mm. the end of the day. So it, it was almost a no-brainer from that point of view. I wanted to do something that I enjoyed more often. And uh, and then I decided, well, okay, to get in, I've got to do a couple of other assessments. I've got to do uh, a bit more, you know, beef up the resume, if you know what I mean. And I was able to do all of that and do pretty well with it. So I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a shot and see if I can actually get in. Um, and so what so, – so, okay, so how how – uh, how much of a, a, a work was it to try and get into the specialty? Uh, so when I did, so I got into the specialty program back in 2012 and uh, there's certain things you can do before you get in. So first off, you have to have been a clinician for at least two years before you can even apply, um, typically longer. Uh, you typically need to have done some continuing education in the field that you're applying for, regardless of specialty that you're looking into, um, and you do pretty much a considerable amount in most cases. Uh, it's always good if you've observed at other specialist practices to see exactly what you're in for day to day. We've got the College of Dental Surgeon primary examinations, which is just a great big science exam, the hardest exams I've ever sat in my entire life. I think you guys have the equivalent as well. We do. There's the physician's exams, which are insane. You basically need to know everything about biology, pharmacology, physiology, all that kind of nutball stuff. And then you don't use it as soon as the exams are over, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ours was micro, biochem, um, pathology, physio. I mean, I still remember learning like the Krebs cycle and just thinking, to myself, I'm never going to use this, but I need it for this one exam in my entire life. And what uh, is it with your dentist and the Krebs cycle? Why does it stand out so significantly? I, I think it's just one of those things that we all had to know at some point, and all of us scratch our heads and ask why. <laughs> I remember, I think first year medicine, I think we had to do plant biology. It was only like for a handful of lectures, but it was still like, what was the point of this exactly? <laughs> well, it's examinable. That's the, that, that's the point. It's a, it's on the exam. It's time filler, is what it is. <laughs> it's just we need to justify our existence so here is some science adjacent things back back in first year we had to do chemistry like basic straight chemistry like p orbitals and all that good stuff that they do like in really advanced year 12 chem and i thought i don't think any dentist is using this even even the researchers aren't using this stuff (laughs) Um, but i guess it builds character Mm, yes or it justifies the expense that you pay (laughs) yes yes well i was hex so 
you know, the expense wasn't as bad. Mm. Um, all right. So, so you're, you've been an endodontist and that, that, where did that take you in terms of your career? Uh, so uh, after finishing specialist training, um, I moved to Sydney in the full-time private practice, um, you know, worked up there for a while. And now I sort of transition between Melbourne and Sydney part-time between both. But the best part about doing specialist practice is uh, I'm able to do teaching. Mm. So uh, I've been involved in teaching just casually at the University of Melbourne um, and I've got an adjunct senior lectureship at the moment at uh, Charles Sturt University in Orange, New South Wales. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously teaching dentistry and and root canal treatment specifically. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, screenwriting or acting. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) You you, you never know. You get hired for anything nowadays. (laughs) Uh, But I really enjoy teaching. Um, I lecture privately around Australia and that's something I wouldn't be able to do if I hadn't gone into specialist practice. Uh, I'm going to Cairns in a couple of weeks for a course that we're running up there. And uh, back when I was a general dentist, I would be paying to go to these sorts of courses and now I'm getting flown to these places around the the country to teach. And I just think it's, it's great fun. I really get a kick out of showing someone how to do something or or telling somebody a concept and then seeing them understand it and then put it into practice. How do you how do you build up your profile in that sense? Like, for, was it purely opportunistic that you got these sort of teaching jobs, or did you seek it out? Uh, that was purely opportunistic. Uh, it, is opportunistic the right word? I guess I was right place, right time. Yeah, um, I think that's the definition of opportunity. <laughs> not 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 an English major whatsoever. <laughs> um, you know, it's just just because English is my first language, uh, but. I happened to work with somebody in Sydney who was heavily involved in lecturing already around the country and he sort of took me under his wing and he was very generous with his time and very uh, generous with allowing me to get on board with a lot of the programs as well. And that that, that really is what kickstarted me getting to do all of this stuff. I think if I hadn't have uh, had that contact and had that support, it would have been really difficult for me to break in as early as I did. Um, so I really, it was just right place, right time. Do you think you would have still sought out the, the teaching role even in spite, even if you didn't have those connections? Oh, definitely. I've, I've always enjoyed teaching and mentorship. Um, even when I was doing my specialist training, I, I had a couple of students that uh, I sort of mentored from a root canal treatment point of view because they seemed to have a love of it and, you know, and I enjoyed teaching it. And plus, I always found that if you're teaching something, you have to know it better than if you just do it yourself. Or at least you need to be, you know, one chapter ahead of the student. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. It's kind of embarrassing if they ask you a question you don't know the answer. So I, used, when I was a postgraduate student, I taught it as a good teaching exercise for myself. If someone asked me a question I don't know it, well, then I need to look up and try and figure it out, not just well enough to understand it, but well enough to show someone else what it is too. So uh, I always think I probably would have gone down that pathway of teaching uh it just might not have happened as quickly or as as well as it has now because i get to lecture probably once or twice a month somewhere in the country and uh it's it's apart from the fact that i have to fly out and leave the family at home it is actually really great fun getting to meet people from you know different parts of australia so uh, you know uh, talking about the idea of uh job satisfaction so earlier you mentioned you know the reason why you liked industry is because of the hours what is it like um you know having to being based in melbourne but having to travel around the country flying in flying out from sydney for for quite a period as well how does that balance with your other life goals yeah, that was, that's the hard part. So th- my job in Sydney um, was absolutely sensational from a work point of view. I had support. It was busy. 
uh, and the clientele and the patients themselves were, were great as well, which is why I still work up there in a part-time capacity just once a month. Uh, and it's always been really hard balancing, you know, a little kid and marriage and, and everything else. And that's why I've sort of cut back on it. So, you know, it's a matter of I could have the ideal work situation, but then I wouldn't be around my family as much as just trying to balance paying the bills and versus job satisfaction versus seeing my kid grow up. It's it's always been difficult. And having said that, I keep saying yes when people offer me to do things interstate anyway. <laughs> so, um, but I think as my son's been getting older, we've been able to actually take him to things. So before when he was too little, it's like there's no point, you know, like cans, for example, in a couple of weeks, um, the family coming up with me. Whereas a couple of years ago, they didn't come to any of the courses with me because it was just too hard to travel. So uh, I think we're getting to that point now where I'm able to balance it a lot better because he's gotten older, but it's really hard in the beginning. What is the uh, what is the thought process? Well, what was the thought process for you when it came to trying to uh, decide what factors were important in terms of uh, both job satisfaction as well as obviously your own mental well-being? Well, that's a really tough one. Um I don't know. I, I, I get I get bored really easy, you know. Uh, after about probably two years of full time specialist practice, and this is working, you know, five days a week, eight till six for a lot of those days, you know, full on, you know, full on hands on work. I started to think to myself that I'm starting to get a little bit bored of the four walls. And most dentists I speak to get this same thing because you're in the same four walls every single day. You tend to encounter the same people every day. I mean, not the patients, but you've got the same nurses, the same receptionists, same everything. And after a while, it becomes very much same old, same old. And you go a little stir crazy. So uh, I, I've decided that I wanted to sort of transition do more teaching after that so that's why i took on the university position and i want to do more teaching that way because it kind of you know breaks things up a little bit um i've been finishing up a master's of health and medical law at the university of melbourne recently uh because i've, I've got a very strong interest in medico legal aspects of dentistry and uh, i might use that in some capacity in the future as well just to keep things interesting um but yeah, I've probably gone completely off track from the question. No, hey, it's but, all still interesting. Uh, I've probably gone completely off track, but um, but yeah, it's just it's it's hard because the job is so interesting to do most of the time. But at the end of the day, it's still variations on a theme mm. as well. So you know, some days I'll come home and I, I feel really really satisfied with what I've done. Other days I'll come home and I'm like, you know, today was good, but I want to do something. To, to really get my mind active in the evening. So read something, learn something, do something. So I'm probably going to be constantly learning something on the side, which is why dentistry is great too, because you do have the capacity if you say, you know what, I don't want to work five or six days a week. I want to work three days a week uh, or four days a week. You can, and you can spend that other day doing something and you're still going to pay your bills very nicely. So uh, I guess, as you said, you know, you, you're, you get bored easily. Does that mean that where you are now with the, with the teaching and, and with whatever you end up doing with your, uh, your health law degree, do you anticipate ever staying in one particular job for, for you know, a long period of time? So from a private practice point of view, I think I will because, and this is something I've learned from a lot of senior clinicians, if you don't stay in the one place long enough, you don't get to see the things that don't work. So, you know, you wait long enough, everything fails, obviously. But if you do 
treatment in a certain way. If you stay in that one practice long enough, you get to see patients come back and you see what worked, what didn't, what could be improved. And yes, these are things that happened years ago that you can work on now, but uh, you get to see sort of that evolution of your clinical practice and you get to see some really cool stuff come back, Just even, even just for lectures. I use my own cases in lectures and it's nice to see interesting cases come back and, and how they've evolved and how they've improved over time. And plus I can use them when I you know, put it up on stage, which is really cool. But I think from my own long-term outlook, I'm probably going to be doing a whole bunch of different things at the same time. I'm always going to be working private practice in some capacity, whether it's two or three days a week or more. I can't imagine that I'm not going to be teaching in some capacity or lecturing in some capacity as well. But uh, I'd imagine I'm probably going to do some other things along the way as well. I just, Mm. um, yeah, I I just can't stop trying to do more. Uh, And something's going to give at some point, but right now um, hasn't quite got there. Are there there things that you would, I guess in an ideal world, are there things that you'd want to do uh, in terms of other, even just study or career that would, You'd, you'd want to pick up later on in life or would it all still pivot from dentistry? No, oh, ideal world. Like if you said to me, what what job do you wish you were doing if, you know, talent wasn't wasn't required? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've always want, I've always would have loved to have been a writer. Mm. Always. I mean, in high school, um, I actually got published twice. Did you? Yes. In what? So, um, one, I won a competition when I was in year 10. It was a short story competition. Um, and I, 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 I won. It was a really little competition. And there was another competition I did shortly after that I didn't win, but it got published in this little periodical full of short stories. Um, ah. And um, sci-fi fantasy was always my, my thing. And that's what I would have loved to have gone down and been like a fantasy writer or something. Um, but... It's just a matter of finding the time. I mean, even now, I still find myself wanting to write and wanting to get those ideas onto the page. But the problem, and this is probably one of the negatives about specialist practice specifically, um, we've got all the clinical notes we have to write for every patient. And then we need to write reports to send out to the general practitioners. And I probably write uh, between two and 3,000 words a day just on reports and notes and everything else. And after that... I'm kind of burnt out to write anything more. Um, but that would be my ideal if I was able to, you know, be a sci-fi author, you know, write trash, as my wife would say. Um, <laughs> but that, that that would be it if, if it was an ideal goal. See, it's it's it just, so uh, I guess all my questions sort of around around this because I I'm going through something myself as we've sort of discussed previously. Mm. Sorry, sorry fans, Mark and I are friends outside of this. So you're missing out. Uh. Um, but you know, my, um, I guess where there are a few things that I'm sort of figuring out and struggling through at the moment. One is the idea of job satisfaction. And then that's a lot of the basis of how this came along because I'm hearing stories of people who genuinely love their job and in the last 12 to 24 months was when I realized I actually hated what I was doing. And I didn't even know it. Like I real, I didn't realize that all I was doing was tolerating my job. I was getting through it. Like I think my husband knew he always, he always saw it, but mm. I was always figuring, okay, well I can't justify not doing this job. It's earning me good money. I seem to be doing an okay job and, and, and it's not terrible. I could be in a much worse position, but that's the best it ever got. The best it ever got for me was always, it could be worse. It was yeah. never like, I love this job. I come home feeling really satisfied and like, 
have done a great thing, which is what you've described. And that is both amazing and completely foreign to me. <laughs> and so, so when, when you, when you sort of describe about, you know, being able to travel or to, to interstate and do all these lectures, I mean, that sounds great. But for me, I actually, there, there are two things I, I, I have envisaged doing over my life that wasn't medicine. One is being a dad. That was my yep. key thing. I just, I just wanted to be a stay-at-home dad um, and, and, and have a sugar daddy husband. And that was my thing. <laughs> the, but the second thing is, yeah, I wanted to be a, a writer. So, I, so I, I remember I was published in an um, anthology of short stories called Growing Up Asian in Australia. And that was through a competition. So I did it when I was like 18 and um, uh, a, friend of, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, was, uh, she suggested it. And, um, and I did it just on a whim and it like the, the moment I got in was amazing and the editing process was so much fun, but because I grew up Asian, (laughs) it was never, it was never something I thought of. It was never something I would say, yeah, this is my career. This is what I'm going to be doing. It was, it was a hobby. It, even for tax purposes, I have to claim it as a hobby because I'm lucky enough to get royalties, like, you know, 70 bucks a year, but I'm lucky enough to still get royalties. In order, I have to claim that as a hobby. And so, but now I'm at a point in my life where I'm thinking, do I want to make it a hobby? Should I do more? How do I get into this? And everything out there, all the, all the, all the courses and all the advice is aimed at young people. All the people who in their teens and 20s decided this is what I want to do. Nothing's aimed at the older person who <laughs> you know, spent all their life working in a job they never liked. Um, See, I love it how you say older person. I mean, we're in our mid-30s. It's... Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the thing that like, as, as my brother said to me, because uh, I, I turned 35 a couple of weeks ago, and as my brother said to me, he goes, happy 15 years to 50. And I just had a cold <laughs> sweat come down the side of my head. I thought, oh my God, that's uh, that's actually accurate. It's actually worse because by the national average, you're about halfway to death. So yay. It's a, it's a great way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> Perspective. But, you know, even, I don't know, like the... It, I think, I think it's all. Well, speaking of perspective, that's part of the problem as well. All mm. the people that I know, and I don't know about you, but all the people I know, they they chose their career early on and they stuck it out. And even even someone like yourself, you've you've pivoted within the career that you have. You haven't changed your careers drastically. But as I am meeting more people and encountering, there are people who do genuinely completely shift careers, like not even just use what they got and moved up. They just do something completely different. And I think, how do you do that? Like, how do you make that decision to, and particularly as you get older, you're more likely to have more commitments, family obligations, mortgages, credit cards, cars, whatever. How do you, how much do you have to want it in order to decide, you know what? I'm going to invest time and energy into this thing. So, so this this is a very long-winded speech about myself that kind of winds back to the question of for you. So when you decided, or even now, when you decide, I'm going to pick up this course interstate, is it purely because I want it, therefore I'm having it? Or do other factors play into it? God, that's actually a really good question because um, it's fun. I got asked to do a lecture recently as probably the first time in the last two years I've said no to a lecture and the only reason I said no was because um there's a month next year where out of the four weekends I'm interstate three of them Mm. lecturing in a different state and I wanted to have at least one weekend at home with my family and it's it's real hard because when I say yes to going into state part of it's the excitement of going to another state and part of it's the excitement of 
you know, being able to, you know, go on the holiday at the same time because I get to have you know, a couple of days where my brain can just relax. I find teaching very relaxing. Um, like from a stress point of view, uh, when I start work with patients, I'm sort of like a, a big ball of energy because I want to make sure that the procedure goes well. I'm always on my toes. I want, you know, I'm very hypervigilant. Um, whereas when I'm lecturing, I'm a lot more relaxed. I'm chill because the very worst case scenario is I need to say, whoops, that was incorrect. Let me just start over. Or I swear. That's the, that's really the worst thing that can happen when I'm lecturing at the end of the day. And they're, they're not real biggies. Whereas with patients, there are things that can go very, very wrong. Um, so I think I just accept it because that's probably the part of my life at the moment that I'm, I guess, enjoying the most because lecturing is really, really good fun, mm. uh, especially when you have a really good audience that's engaged with you and uh, you can see that you, you're sort of coming and you know, you're getting your message across. Um, there has been some audiences where that hasn't been the case and I've come home <laughs> thinking, oh, that was a... Uh, that was fun. <laughs> oh, I didn't really get, didn't really enjoy that one. But for the most part, it is actually really, really good. But um, I think I'm doing it more because I do. I am, I am young. I mean, in the world of professionals, mid thirties is young. I mean, we're mm-hmm. babies compared to you know the people that are considered senior consultants and things like that. So part of it's also resume building. The more that I lecture, the more I get my name out there, and uh, maybe the less I have to lecture later in order to get nicer gigs Mm. in a sense you know because so far i haven't gone overseas for lectures um my colleague in sydney has put me under his wing he's lectured overseas on a number of occasions um because he's got a a full decade on me in Mm -hmm. terms of um his his career which makes sense uh so that's sort of the aim to be able to i guess do it less but get more out of it Mm. eventually uh, one of one of our mutual friends, I think, uh, had summed it up nicely in that he wants to be able to, in quotation marks, retire at 50, but more in the sense of by the age of 50, he wants to have earned enough money that he's working just for the pleasure of it. Oh, yeah, that is the dream. Mm. That, that Honestly, that's, at the end of the day, I think... I think that's what we're all kind of striving for, to not have to get up and go to work because we have no choice, but because we want to do it, um, which is kind of an interesting scenario when you think about, you know, what would I do? Let's say that, that big Powerball draw a couple of weeks ago, because I think we all would have had that imagining of, oh, if you won the $150 million, what would what would you do? Would you still show up to work? Would you, would you do something different? And it's really strange because I can't imagine doing nothing. Mm. You know, doing nothing, I think, would be terrible. I would still, I'd still be teaching. That's a hundred percent. I'd probably still be working clinically as well in some capacity because I still get enjoyment out of it. But all the things that you don't get enjoyment out of, I don't think that I'd be doing. And I guess that's the key thing there is that you, whether by by virtue of luck or fate or whatever you want to attribute it to, you found an industry that really worked for you. And, and it's not even just the job specifically because you're not. You're not really working in the job you started in, no, in into the general practice dentistry. You've you've used it as a stepping stone to other things. And f- again, for me, that's a really foreign concept. Mm. Like if I if I won the Powerball, I think that I would be one of those people who at least for a period would do nothing. I would just enjoy my time, and maybe I would get bored eventually. But I'd never think. Oh man, I want to get back to medicine, <laughs> like, <laughs> or at least not not in the in the way that I've been practicing it, bef- you know, um, up until now. And I, you know, when I found 
when I found my other job working with people with intellectual disabilities, that was also opportunistic. I happened to be, you know, uh, friends with someone of the, of the director, friends with the director who, who was looking yeah. for a GP and, and I would never have known to look for it, you know? Um, yeah, right place, right time is such, such a big thing, I, I think, especially with what we're doing. But um, it, it's funny. I mean, going back to the writing thing that we were mentioning before, like you've, you've always wanted to be a writer and, how I that my teenage dream is being an author. Um, I was a big Stephen King fan when I was a kid. I mean, I was I, like I was thirteen and fourteen reading Stephen King, which probably I shouldn't have been in retrospect. But, Meh, you know, different generation, whatever. Eh, you know, my my parents just bought me the books because you know, well, he can read. Yeah, he may as well, right? My yeah. husband read Game of Thrones at when he was eleven years old, and the only reason was that he he saw the cover and thought, "Ooh, that looks kind of interesting." Those and it was unmonitored were, by his parents. Those covers were amazing because they were just like you know knights and princesses and horses. There's none of the you, you wouldn't know looking at those covers. I mean, but, how do you draw incest on a cover? Like honestly. Well, I don't know how you would actually. I don't think Colin's booksellers would sell it. <laughs> but I still remember. Um, so I think it was oh, either Christmas 1999 or 2000. My mum got me Stephen King's memoir. It's called On Writing. Mm. And I still remember this very, very clearly from the book and how uh, the whole thing was going to be about his writing process and how he did it and, and everything else. And um, he wrote, I'm paraphrasing obviously he said something like at, at dinner parties and people say I've always wanted to be a writer he'd say I always wanted to be an astronaut and they look at him really weird and he's like because anyone can be a writer you just <laughs> need to get out a typewriter or in that case get out your laptop and just start writing um, but yeah I've always had that in the back of my mind whenever I think to myself oh you know maybe I should have a crack at it I mean you know if you see some of the stuff that gets published and you think to yourself I should be able to do better than that, shouldn't I? And I think, oh, I can't remember. There is a quote somewhere of someone who said, if you don't think that what you're writing is better than what's out there, you shouldn't be a writer. (laughs) So so whether that's an inflated sense of ego or whether it's like genuine interpretation of skill, I think that there, there seems to be consensus that you have to think that what you're doing is better. If you want to be in any way successful, oh, you would certainly hope. You would certainly hope so. But uh, I have read some things where I think, "Wow, that got published. I could definitely get published <laughs> if that's the case." <laughs> so why don't you? Like, I mean, you mentioned earlier that oh. sometimes you kind of get a bit drawn out. But you know, if you can, if you can make the time, if if you could make the time, I mean, putting aside whether or not you have a universally agreed talent, um, <laughs> you know, of course it's agreed. Of course, <laughs> we're friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Why? What's stopping you? Ah, oh, it's just the time. I think it's. I think it's everything else. It's probably the same reason why everybody stays in a job that they might not be happy with. At the end of the day, you feel as if there'll be time for that later. Right now, I have to do the dishes, or right now, I have to decompress after a big day, or right now, I need to do something else, and I'm not going to have enough uh, time to make anything of it anyway. It's probably just all the procrastination excuses that we all make in our lives for everything else that would stop it. I mean, I always say to myself that one day I will, um, but that day hasn't quite come, you could say. And, and again, if you think about it, you have changed... While, while your career stayed within the field of dentistry, you have used it to access a, a whole bunch of other things. So you, mm. you're doing an entire master's degree. That mm. takes time and that yeah. takes energy. And that takes a lot of writing too. That was a lot of writing yeah. actually. So, you know, and I guess that's that's the thing. Obviously, you had a passion for it and that's great. Mm. You, you found something. But if 
I, I get, yeah, that's a question. If you if you had the passion for sci-fi writing, why why wouldn't you channel that energy that you use towards studying into that? Yeah, it's true. I guess I guess that's probably the same problem that that anyone in the medical fields have. I've been so primed to put that energy into studying from like such a young age that it's really hard to put that energy into something else that's kind of wishy-washy mm. really um because at the end of the day you know fiction and of course i'm my own worst critic as well if i ever write anything i never used to show it to anybody until it was finished because um whilst i can take criticism i want to take criticism in the finished product rather than halfway through because mm. you know it's a pro writing's a process yes yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it, it's really just i'm trying to channel that energy i guess i know how to study mm. like you give me any topic i could probably study it yeah. and learn it whereas fiction has to come from i guess nowhere and be something yeah and that that's hard it's also hard it's hard to do that well because i could be sitting around thinking of an idea and it's like the last time i actually did write in any capacity was when um, my granddad was dying and i did this the therapeutic thing more than anything else i um and it took some time for me and I, I wrote quite a bit. I think I wrote about 20,000 words of a, in retrospect, really juvenile sci-fi book. Hmm. And um, I remember reading through it and showing my wife at the time and she was like, you know, the ideas are good, but, you know, it's it's kind of written less than less than well. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is written less than well. And I always said one day again, I'll go back to it and I'll fix it up and, and make it make it better but again just never did it yeah it's like anything else you sort of put it to the you know put it to the back seat then life sort of takes over and you kind of just forget about it mm. and, and you know you uh, you talk you sort of mentioned about the wishy-washiness i think for me in a put it in a more polite way um there is the uncertainty I think the the career shifts bring with it uncertainty, but at least if you did something like yeah, health law, you could utilize that. Yes, there's a lot more, you know, there's a more solid foundation of I have this degree. This degree can lead to these options, mm. whereas <laughs> I've written a book and it's been rejected by everybody. But my name isn't J.K. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and in a way, your, your health law was, was piggybacking off your existing experience. So you exactly. can kind of say, you know, my, my time as a dentist has informed me into this thing, into this field, and it gives mm. me perspective. And so you, it, it, I, I wonder sometimes whether, you know, people who shift their careers entirely ever ask themselves, did I waste my time? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm, sh I'm sure that's part of it too. But I've always been a... I've always been a fan of everything kind of does happen for a reason. I mean, like, for example, one of the biggest reasons I'm glad I got into the dentistry in the first place is I met my lovely wife. Mm. And Well done, very yes, smooth. Yes, yes. I know the only reason to dentistry, kids, find a wife. <laughs> um, but no, I, I did meet my lovely wife and everything that is good in my life stems from that. So, honestly, I'm very happy I'm in the profession I am, if not for anything else but for that reason. Um but I think that everything happens the way it's meant to, to shape you into the person that you are. Like I always ask myself, let's say if I had gone and worked in a different clinic when I was a general practitioner and I got a different experience, would I have fallen in love with surgery or would I have fallen in love with a different aspect of dentistry or would I have hated it altogether? Mm. And and I think those experiences really do shape you into whether you do enjoy your career, whether you hate your career, whether you kind of look for avenues out of your career. 
you know it's um like i wouldn't be lecturing now as anywhere near as much or even have the connections if i hadn't have worked in sydney and uprooted the family and moved north for a while so yeah it's 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 a weird one because I, th- I do believe everything happens the way it's meant to and every decision from there whether good or bad it's still what has to be done so speaking of experience are there any particular experiences you've had that have informed um or i guess more more like fortified your decision to go into endodontics as a specialty that's fine so when i did my interview years ago for the special i remember um uh, we did interview prep my wife and i and i was she was asking me questions um, and she would always say don't say that don't say that don't say that and then in the interview i pretty much said all of it and one of the questions was is like why why endodontics so um in endodontics uh, you use something called a rubber dam it's a little rubber sheet and you put it over the top of the tooth and it stops the patient from swallowing the things they're not meant to swallow all the you know, disinfectants and tools and everything else the main advantage of that apart from everything else is that it kind of focuses you on what you're doing and there's nothing else in the world it's just you and that tooth and i said that in my in my interview and that's something gene said that i shouldn't have said and um the interview, one of the interviewers said oh it sounds almost poetic in a sense where you put it like that's just you and the tooth and nothing else she went have you ever thought of being a writer yeah <laughs> and that's what i was like that's the pinnacle right there of my, of my writing career um i should be an orator <laughs> uh, but, but honestly it was just a matter of enjoyment like i don't know my hands just seemed to know what to do when i did it like it's one thing to enjoy something and to be absolutely terrible at it as well uh like i always really enjoyed surgery when i was an undergraduate student um but i found that i was not very good at the actual application of surgery um whereas root canal treatments i enjoyed it and my hands were really decent at it as well like i could just knew exactly what to do and i still kind of do know what to do with it so um, I think that's really just what informed it, the fact that I could do it and I enjoyed it, so why not do more of it? So, uh, to finish off, for any budding dentist more specifically <laughs> out there, what would what kind of advice would you give them or what things would you have liked to have known about endodontics? Uh, I guess it's the same advice if anyone is interested in any specialty in general. Uh, first off, do as much of it as you can as a general practitioner, because the more that you do, the more that you'll start to realize that you actually enjoy the physical action of doing it with your hands and with your mind. And if you really hate doing it as a general practitioner, you are going to hate doing it as a specialist, I guarantee. Uh, The other part as well, go and observe at specialist practices. The only real way to see the types of patients and the types of procedures that a specialist does is to actually go and observe and I think I hassled about six or seven different specialists in Victoria and went down to their clinics and observed them during my time as a GP just so I could really get a feel for what it's like in a variety of different aspects. Um, So I just say that you do as much as you can and observe as many specialists as you can in practice in the, I guess, in the trenches, as it were. Good stuff. Well, thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. This has been very interesting and deviated well away from endodontics. But hey, uh, you know, it was good nonetheless. Hey, deviations are more interesting than what I do. <laughs> All right. So if you like what you heard, please uh, find us on our website, www.nosmalljobspod.com.au. Check out our other uh, episodes, uh, other careers, or even other interesting stories about people and their lives. Follow us uh, on Twitter at nosmalljobspod.com. 
find us on Facebook and like our page, please. Uh, and uh, if someone can give me a convincing argument to join Instagram, I may do so. Because um, I don't know what else to do. Uh, but hey, if, if you like what if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and make sure you rate and review. Uh, the more you do that, the more people will find us and the more episodes we can afford to do. Thanks for listening. And remember, there are no small jobs, only jobs you haven't discovered yet.